You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be discussing some transfer rumours. We're also going to be discussing Granite Xhaka's injury and the fact that he's given permission to the Amazon All or Nothing crew to film his rehabilitation. We'll also be taking some of your questions, some of your comments from the live chat box and basically continuing uh, to react to the weekend's game now that the dust has settled just a little bit more. Uh, I want to begin by apologising for the lack of a podcast earlier on today, as some of you might have seen um, on social media over the last few days. I am uh, working more closely now with 90 Min Football, and uh, I was down in the office today for, for the first time. Uh, so yeah, well, no, not for the first time, but for the first time as part of my new role. So I had to go in, get everything sorted, uh, which is why there was no podcast at lunchtime today. But we'll be returning back to our normal schedule tomorrow. I want to say a few hellos uh, to some of you in the chat box already. Big hello to Michelle, uh, to Sean, to Marble Horse TV, to Saeed Abdullah, who has very, very kindly donated uh, to the channel. Thank you again, my friend. Uh, I know you're a regular viewer, listener, and I know you donate regularly as well. So I just want to say a massive, massive thank you. I promise you it does not go unnoticed. And it is so, so appreciated because it's that kind of support that helps me uh, to be able to spend more time on this channel, more time on this podcast and bring you more content. So thank you so much, mate. Uh, big hello to Matt, big hello to Femi, uh, big hello to Black and Blanco, and of course, to Luke Williams. Now, before we get into the things that we're going to talk about today, because it's, you know, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, there was some sad news that, that reached us and the Arsenal Twitter sphere would have been very familiar uh, with the person that I'm going to speak about. He, he went by the name of uh, Chig on social media. And sadly, the news came out earlier today that Chig um, has passed away. And listen, I, I'm not going to claim to be or have been Chig's best mate. I, I I don't like it when people do that. I think that just because someone passes away, it doesn't mean you should exaggerate your friendship. I think you can still pay respects to someone without kind of pretending that we were really close. We weren't, uh, but we did, especially in the early days of the podcast, uh, do a lot of uh, shows together. I went on Chig's channel on a number of occasions. Chig came on here um, a few times as well. So, um, yeah, really sad, shocking news uh, to hear of Chig's passing. I think he's 30, he was 36, 37 years old, which is no age, man. It's no age. So I just wanted to start off by paying tribute to Chig. Um, one of the Arsenal community had a very good Arsenal YouTube channel. Um, wasn't as active on it, I don't think, um, in recent months, but was was very well respected, made a lot of friends along the way. And as I say, we weren't super close and I, I don't know him particularly well. But I did want to pay tribute um, to Chig because 
that news rocked me. I, I've got to say, um, you know, it's as I say, it's no age. I I don't know how or why or or any more details than that. And I think it's probably, you know, best that people give them their privacy, um, give his family and friends that privacy. And I'm sure when they want to, they'll talk a little bit more about it and perhaps shed some light on what exactly happened. But I just wanted to pay tribute to Chig. I just wanted to say um, rest in peace. And I just wanted to pass my condolences on to his friends and family because it's really sad news. Really, really sad news. Right. Uh, let's uh, kick uh, into the show then. Let's say uh, a couple more hellos before we dive right into it. Big hello to Samantha Hoskins, who's commenting for the first time. How, how are you, Samantha? Welcome. Uh, Black and Blanco says, enjoy life while it is here. Absolutely. Uh, Zed Blogger says, really sad news. Used to listen to him on a few other shows. Yes, indeed. And Luke Williams sends his uh, condolences. Uh, Creambone says, evening, Harry. Looking forward to yet another good show, although you're turning into a one-trick pony. What does that mean? Elaborate. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, and Don Sankey also says, RIP Chig. Right then. Uh, let's dive into our first story today, which is with regards to Raheem Sterling. Now, According to reports and according to uh, the Mirror, uh, Raheem Sterling is somebody that Arsenal are considering making a move for. Now, I'm not taking this as gospel. I'm not taking this as it's definitely going to happen. I'm not even taking this as Arsenal are trying to make it happen. But I thought it was worth discussing because over the last few weeks, I've talked quite a bit about how in those wide positions, in the, the winger positions, We've been a little bit um, lacking. We've been a little bit lacking in terms of end product, in terms of of being able to keep those levels of performance consistently high. And and you know you look back at the weekend and in particular, and you see Bukayo Saka, who I thought showed really good spells in the game, but then for the most part was pretty quiet. You look at Emil Smith Rowe again; there were signs, just little kind of flashes. But again, um, you know, it's not happening regularly enough. And and a large part of that, in my opinion, is down to the fact that they are so young, is down to the fact that they are still learning, that they are still developing. And I've said it time and time again, in my personal opinion, it is almost unfair to rely on those two guys in the wide positions to deliver week in, week out. So I'm not saying that Arsenal are going to sign Raheem Sterling, but it was a rumour that we heard constantly throughout the summer. It was a rumour that didn't go away. It, it continued to kind of float around in the background. And now we're at a point where this rumour's resurfaced again. Now, of course, Raheem Sterling is currently out of favour at Manchester City, and I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. I'm sure that's why this story has, has reared its head again. Uh, but I just wanted to kind of touch on a couple of points with regards to Raheem Sterling, because for me, you know, there are reasons why if Arsenal could do this deal, it would be a good deal. You know, you take into consideration Raheem Sterling's very good relationship with Mikel Arteta. He's been credited, Mikel Arteta that is, with really, really helping Raheem Sterling and improving in terms of his end product. And I think in recent seasons, we've seen a massive uplift there. You know, he's in, in 297 Premier League appearances, Raheem Sterling has scored 97 goals, which means he's pretty much a one in three man. And 
he's also contributed 72 assists in that time. So if you look at direct goal contributions, he's more than a one in two man when that comes to goals and assists. So actually, this is someone with a proven track record of getting into the right positions and then delivering, then producing the moments that can be the difference in games. And I think as good as Saka is, as good as Smith Rowe is, and as good as they were in the North London derby last week, I think this weekend served as a reminder, again, as to just how unfair we might be being in terms of relying on these two young guys to produce week in, week out. And look, there's a balance to be found here because as a football club, you would see them as your two or as two of your most prized assets, two of your biggest kind of prospects, two players that you feel would, you know, or, or can go on and have excellent careers and will be very, very key players for you. But then you need to find the balance between getting the results now, today, but then also not hindering their development too much. And I think that's the danger here. You know, aside from the financial challenges that bring in or trying to bring someone like Raheem Sterling to the club would pose, I think there's a, a big discussion to be had around how much of an impact that would have on Smith Rowe and Saka. Would it have an impact on one of them? Would it have an impact on both of them? And whether it would be worth the, the huge investment that we'll no doubt need uh, to get Raheem Sterling here. Now, look, I, I think for me, we talk about him being out of favour at Manchester City. This has happened before, though, where he's kind of been out of the side, form has dropped off, and then he's re-emerged, and he's been very, very good again and very consistent again. And I think going into the Euros uh, this summer, there were a lot of people that were saying that Raheem Sterling should be the one left out of the England side, that people would prefer to see Jack Grealish playing. It seems Pep Guardiola prefers Jack Grealish, but actually Raheem Sterling in the Euros was was probably England's best player because he consistently delivered. He produced big, big moments. And sometimes players of, of Sterling's calibre, even when they're not at their brilliant best, just have that in their locker, don't they? That ability to produce a moment that can be the difference between you winning, losing or drawing a game of football. And I think he is someone that I would welcome if indeed we were able to get this deal done or if indeed Arsenal are even interested. But I think given the kind of scale of the project that we're seeing now and the fact that it's very, very clear that Arsenal Football Club are willing to give Mikel Arteta time, are willing to give him the breathing space to bring these players through, to continue helping them develop, et cetera, et cetera. It just feels like the kind of transfer that would be very out of character the kind of transfer that doesn't fit in with what it is we're trying to do in terms of our our plan, in terms of our philosophy, in terms of our structure, in terms of our, you know, our blueprint. But in my opinion, you need to find the balance. You need that balance between good, experienced players and then those young, talented individuals who are good but could potentially get much better. And I think what we've done in years gone by is we've not had that young talent and we've been over-reliant on players that in a lot of cases were were over the hill. Now we've shifted it completely, but that is just as unreliable in a number of ways. Yes, the future looks better and brighter when you take this approach. But right now, I just feel like Arsenal, you know, 
have to strike that balance. If they want to get back in the Champions League, they have to find the right balance between experience, top quality, players that the likes of Saka and Smithrow can really learn from, and then, you know, those players, the young players, the players that represent the future. So I, I you know, I wouldn't be against this move if it were doable, if it were possible. I'm not sure it's going to happen. In fact, I don't think it's going to happen. But I just think, you know, Arsenal probably still do need to invest in those attacking areas in a real top, top quality talent that you can rely on to deliver more often than not, that can uh, bring the best out of the young players around him and can help develop those players, but also keep Arsenal at the level at which they um, at which they aspire to be at. So, yeah, I mean, I don't as I say, it's, it's not, you know, a huge um a huge story in terms of its reliability or, you know, given the fact that we're in October and the window doesn't open till January, it feels a little bit sort of irrelevant and maybe a little bit unnecessary. But the reason I wanted to talk about it was because it's one that's come up before. It's one that I think the fans are quite divided on. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on Raheem Sterling. Do you think he would be a good fit for Arsenal? Would you welcome him to Emirates Stadium with open arms? Or is he somebody that you'd prefer to steer well clear of? Let me know in the chat. Um, but for me, I just think it's one that it, it, it grabbed me and it jumped out at me because of how adamant I've been in the last month or so that as good as these young, talented individuals are, I feel that as a football club, as a fan base, we are placing way too much on their young shoulders. So much so that it's almost impossible for them to succeed. I mean, you think about what we're asking of these two young men in, in Saka and Smith-Rowe. And look, there are others around the club as well that we're asking big things of. But when you think of the level of contribution we're asking from these guys and the level of consistency that it would take to get us to where we want to be, you know, as good as they've been and as good as their flashes have been, you just don't get the impression right now that they can do it every single week. And so me personally, I'd welcome someone like Raheem Sterling. But what does it do to the club financially? What does it do in terms of the balance within the squad? What does it do in terms of the development of those two young guys that I've mentioned? What does it mean for Nicolas Pepe if this was something that, that was possible? So there's lots to consider here, lots to unpack. And it's why I think it's quite an interesting story. Um, Let's take some of uh, some of your thoughts from the live chat. Uh, Black and Blanco says, I would prefer to spend the money on a striker. Um, Dave Atkinson says, I would say no to Sterling because his wages would be way too much to drop down to a non-Champions League club. Interesting. Um, it's interesting, but, you know, I think that somebody like Raheem Sterling, who's obviously got that connection to London, um, and is is at a, a very kind of key point in his career. Twenty six years old, I think he is now, Raheem Sterling, and he's in a place where he's not getting game time. And and as I said, you know, at Manchester City, that can change quite quickly. We've seen it before. We've seen players be out of favour under Pep Guardiola. And the one thing you can always say about Pep is, if they work hard and if they prove themselves when they're given those opportunities, they will get back in the side. We saw it with John Stones, didn't we? He looked like he was headed for the exit. Then he came back in the side last season. Did very, very well again. OK, Ruben Diaz has come in and him and I, Eric Laporte, have formed a very good partnership now. But 
you always get the impression with Pep that if you're performing, if you're playing well, if you're taking the opportunities when they do come along, that he will give you a chance to earn your place back. And maybe Raheem will look at that and go, well, I've done it before. I can do it again. But you just wonder if an offer came in and it would have to be a substantial offer, obviously, from a club like Arsenal, a big London-based club who would guarantee Raheem Sterling game time week in, week out, who are managed by somebody he holds in very, very high esteem in Mikel Arteta, someone whom he's credited with large parts of his development. Would he consider it? I don't think he would rule it out. Not saying he'd jump at the opportunity, but I think he'd have a long, hard think about it. I really, really do. Um, so yeah, uh, let's let's continue taking some of your uh, your uh, comments from the chat box. Uh, Matt says I like Sterling a lot, but I was hoping that Arteta would turn our current wingers into the next uh, into the next Sterling, and not us having to buy him. Yeah, I just feel like you know, in particularly in you know in in the cases of our two, you just felt like Raheem Sterling having been at Liverpool and, and played so much for Liverpool before he joined Manchester City was a little bit further along in his career at the time that Mikel Arteta began to help shape him and develop him. And look, Mikel Arteta has taken a lot of credit and a lot of praise for what Sterling's gone on to achieve. But Pep Guardiola was there as well, you know, and Pep Guardiola is notoriously good at extracting uh, the maximum from talented attacking players. So, obviously, I, I think that this is different. I think it will be harder for Mikel to turn those guys. You know, do they have the natural talent that Raheem Sterling does? I think that Emil Smith-Rowe does technically. But I think in terms of close control, in terms of some of the other aspects, I actually think that Raheem Sterling's probably got a little bit more natural ability then Bukayo Saka, that will go down like a lead balloon with Arsenal supporters. But I do feel like they're not exactly the same. I feel like Sterling probably gave Mikel Arteta a little bit more to work with. A, because I think there's probably a little bit more raw talent there. But B, because Raheem Sterling, in my opinion, was further along in his career um, when he went to Manchester City than Bukayo Saka or Emil Smith-Rowe probably are at this point. Um... We've got this one, sneaky loan with mates rates uh, from Pep. Uh, Jonathan says, Harry Raheem Sterling is 26. That may want to prove, he may want to prove something to his haters, unlike a William. We need more players in their prime because our wingers are too young and naive. Completely agree uh, that we need a little bit more in terms of ready-made talent. Uh, Kevin says, uh, I think he'd keep things lively in the competition for first team places. Completely agree. Uh, Luke Williams says I'd take him and it would still show that we have a pulling power as a club and the location helps as well. The Arsenal granny says would be a great signing, plays the way Arteta wants and would fit right in. Matt says I'd take him in a heartbeat. Uh, Creambone says hell yes, he's class, would improve our team, would send a message that we could still attract world-class talent. Need I go on? Uh, Syed says goals win games and unfortunately we don't have the players to score goals consistently. We can't depend on Saka and Smith-Rowe. They're still very young. You can see that, especially in Saturday's game. Mr. Joe Kerr, one of our members, says the financial implication of bringing him in only after we have a centre midfield and centre forward cover would require sales and getting Lacazette off of the books. Zed Blogger says it's got to be a yes. It's an upgrade on what we currently have 
and can unlock defences against teams that play deep with three at the back. Uh, what else have we got here? Um, Bougie Man says, I don't mind him really because we're having problems creating and scoring goals at the moment. So lots of people on board with the idea of Arsenal potentially uh, trying to bring Raheem Sterling to the club. And look, as I said right at the top of the show, it is a rumour. It is a story uh, being reported by the Daily Mirror and a number of other tabloids that you'd normally look at and go, I'm not really sure about this. But the reason I've given it the time of day, the reason I'm even discussing it is, as I said already, A, because I feel like we do need more in those positions in terms of consistency, in terms of ready-made um top quality talent but b because it's one that's not going away and and i wonder if it's not going away because there is some credence to it because there is an interest from arsenal because there is an interest from Mikel arteta or if it just is that Mikel arteta and raheem sterling have worked so well in the past arsenal having a problem creating chances and scoring goals he's out of favor at manchester city and so it all just culminates into a really good easy and convenient story for people to write who knows? But interesting to hear all of you guys' thoughts. And I think we can all agree that we we adore Saka, we adore Smith Rowe. They're all brilliant and we love what they represent and the fact that they are our very own. But that over the course of the season, if we are solely reliant on those guys to provide goals and assists from those wide positions, we're probably going to fall a little, a little bit short again um, unless they really do step it up a level um you know and 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 deliver a level of consistency that we haven't seen from either of them yet in terms of their outputs uh, abdi ali says harry says arteta more than i breathe mate you need to start breathing more <laughs> um let's see uh, what else we've got babu says arsenal need a dribbler we haven't had one since kazola sterling will be great but still not at the level of kazola Right, let's uh, let's take it on then. So uh, we've established in the most part that Raheem Sterling would be a positive addition to the team if indeed that interest from Arsenal that is being reported by a number of tabloids is genuine. Uh, but moving on, we're going to talk about Granite Xhaka. Now, of course, Granite Xhaka uh, suffered an injury just recently in the North London derby, and it's an injury that is going to keep Granite Xhaka out for three months at minimum. Uh, so Granit Xhaka not expected to return to action for the Gunners until the new year. And and what does that mean for us? You know, what, what do we do in terms of replacing him? I talked a lot in the tactical analysis show following the Brighton game about how his profile suits Thomas Partey in terms of bringing more out of him, in terms of the proximity with which they play, um, in terms of their positions. The close proximity means that both of them look better. I felt like Sambi Lakonga struggled a little bit um, at Brighton, not necessarily because he did all that much wrong, but just because his profile means he pulls slightly further left, means that gap between the two players is greater. And if you want a deeper explanation on that, check out the tactical analysis show and, and I explain it in a lot more detail. But Granit Xhaka apparently has allowed or, or granted permission to those putting together the Amazon All or Nothing documentary uh, to basically film his rehabilitation and his recovery uh, as he fights back from this knee injury. And I actually think this could be a really good thing. 
I think that Granit Xhaka is someone who obviously divides opinion among the Arsenal fan base. Now, that is something I bloody say uh, a lot. Um, but this would give Granit Xhaka, in my opinion, an opportunity to really kind of work on his personal brand. And I wonder if that's largely why he's agreed to take this on. Now, I'm sure there will be some kind of financial conversation that obviously makes this appealing to the man himself. But I think Granit Xhaka will probably see this as an opportunity to kind of prove to some of the fans that he's not this, um, you know, this this character that some people portray him to be, that he's not this man that doesn't care, that he is a model professional. Just like we keep hearing from everybody pretty much that's managed him. I think this gives Granit Xhaka to get some airtime. Uh, it gives him the opportunity to get some airtime and really put his character across, hopefully make himself a little bit more likeable not because it's going to make him a better player, but because it's going to get some of the heat off him if he does it right. And if they do it right, it should take some of the heat off him, some of that unnecessary heat that I think weighs down on him when he plays in an Arsenal shirt. I think one of the things you can say about Xhaka is he's incredibly tough mentally. And I think he's been great at shrugging it off and just getting on with it uh, a lot of the time. But he he will boil over because he's that kind of guy. You know, he's a, he's a passionate guy. He cares deeply about his job, about what he's doing. And I just think that, you know, we've had those moments where the boil overs happened. Credit to him for recovering from that. But there are still some Arsenal fans, in my opinion, that unfairly criticise him. You know, there will be times where he deserves it, rightly so. But there have also been times where he hasn't deserved it. He hasn't, by any stretch of the imagination, been the worst player on the pitch or the problem in fact, for Arsenal. And we, as a fan base in general, have probably placed too much emphasis on his role in Arsenal's decline. So, as I say, I think... <laughs> sorry. I think, as I say, this is probably the perfect opportunity for Granit Xhaka to get in front of the camera, show himself for what he, he probably really is, a little bit more of a... You know, show himself as a bit more of a human being than just a number... Uh, just a kind of stern-faced central midfield player. So hopefully he can do that and win some of the fans over. And look, we've seen, I don't know if any of you have watched Hector Bayerin's documentary about his road to recovery uh, from that knee injury that he sustained. I think that was a really fascinating insight into the challenges that professional footballers, when they get into situations like this or when they face situations like this, how they struggle um, and how they deal with it and all the kind of, things they have to cope with along the way. So, yeah, I think it's a good idea. I think it can do his personal brand, the world of good, and hopefully people will see a different side to Granite Xhaka and perhaps be a little bit um, fairer in their assessments of his performances on the football pitch as a result of, of him kind of opening the doors to the cameras. Um, yeah. Uh, let's take a couple more Um of your comments from the chat box. Get some questions in, actually. Get a few questions in uh, in the live chat. I'd love to um, I'd love to hear from you um, for the last sort of 10 minutes of the show. We'll take some of your comments on the Xhaka thing and then we'll take a few of your questions. Um, Bougie Man agrees with me. He says, exactly, this could help Xhaka rebuild his reputation or it could totally tarnish it. Either way, we'll see things about him that we've been speculating about over the past few years. Uh, Black and Blanco says so many will refuse to change their mind about Xhaka no matter what he does. Yeah, I think you're 
you're probably right. Uh, Matt G says, Harry, do you think Amazon will cover Xhaka not wanting to have the vaccine? Um, I don't think so because, and, and, and the reason I don't think so, look, I'm, I'm someone who's had the vaccine. Okay. I've had both jabs, um, you know, largely because I wanted to protect uh, people around me more than myself. I had COVID. Um, I tested positive for COVID around about Christmas time. I felt quite unwell for four or five days and um, and, it, and it passed. I, I, I had shortness of breath for a little bit uh, after that for maybe a month or two after that. And I really struggled with it, I've got to say, and it kind of got me, I kind of felt longer effects from it than maybe some people do. But it wasn't something that, you know, was was dangerous to me. And I'm very lucky that that's the case for me. But this whole thing about the vaccine, you know, while I'm for it, I also understand why there are people that don't want it. And and while if it were up to me, I think that, you know, everybody should have it. I don't think you can force it on people. And, and Granite Xhaka won't be the only high profile sportsman that doesn't want to take the vaccine. And I think actually, if they were to bring this up in the Amazon documentary, they'd be kind of setting him up for criticism that I think would be unwarranted because I can promise you there will be tons of Premier League players that don't want it. And I mean, you get it, don't you? These guys are elite level athletes in incredible condition. They will probably feel like if they did get the virus that they could fight it off quite easily. And and so I understand it. You know, I understand all the skepticism around it. It's not my view, but I get it. And I don't think you should take or you can necessarily take that right away from people, that right to decide away from people. I think it will get to a point where we'll be in a place where people will have to have it to do certain things. And a lot of people that are kind of on the fence about it or not sure about it will buckle just because they want to get on with their lives uh, and get back to normal. But I think if they were to highlight it in the Amazon documentary, when I'm sure Jack is not the only one within the Arsenal camp that doesn't want it, it would almost be like saying, here you go, everybody, criticise him, you know, have a go. And given how his kind of relationship with the fans is currently anyway, I don't think it would be helpful. And, I'm, and I know for a fact with the Amazon documentaries, because I was speaking to someone a couple of weeks ago who was heavily involved in the making of the Tottenham Hotspur one, um, I know that the clubs have editorial sign-off. So the clubs get to say, yes, this is okay, this is not okay. They have editorial control of the documentary. And so I'd hope that they'd have enough sense about them to not open up one of their players to that kind of criticism when he's probably one of a ton of people who, who are feeling the same way. Right. Uh, let's see what else we've got in the chat box. Let's uh, let's move it on a little bit. Uh, Don Saki says, hi, Harry. Who is the striker out there who could get us 20 goals or more a season that the team can go for? Let's go and get Erling Haaland. That would be bloody nice, wouldn't it? Um, look, it's, it's a really tough question um, to kind of identify people. And I, and I actually think we're going to spend a bit of time during this international break because now we've got look, almost two weeks before Arsenal play a game again. And it's going to be very difficult to continue producing content on a daily basis. We're going to do it. And I hope you'll all bear with us and stick with us through this difficult period, because it always is a difficult period as a content creator when there's not a great deal to talk about. But what we're going to do over this period, I was thinking about it today and I made some notes on 
um, you know, how we could potentially structure these shows is we're going to do sort of individual player reviews, individual reviews of players' seasons so far, what we can expect from them in the remainder of the season, what they need to improve on, et cetera, et cetera. And I think when we do the, the player reviews around Bamiang, around Lacazette and around our forward players, it will paint a little bit more of a picture as to the type of striker or type of forward that we need, that the type of forward that will thrive in this system, the type of forward that will get up, give us what we need. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, I look forward to bringing you those shows and maybe ask me the question again in a week's time when we've done a few of them and I might be able to give you a, a better, or I hope I'll be able to give you a better answer. Uh, big hello to Jay Bone who says, I finally got here live. Love listening when I work from home. Welcome, mate. Hope you're good and uh, appreciate all the support. Uh, love this one uh, from Cream Bone. He says, Harry, do you think people should hit the like button? Yes, I do. I do think they should hit the like button because we've currently got over 150 of you watching us live on YouTube right now, but we've only got uh, 46 likes on the board. We should be able to get that at minimum up to 100. So please do hit the like button. Doesn't cost a thing. Really, really helps the channel. If you're listening via the audio platforms, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That also helps. And we've had a couple of really great reviews uh, filtering through over the last couple of days. So thank you, uh, guys, so much. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Syed says, do you think Pepe will not be in Arteta's future plans? Pepe's a difficult one, isn't it? Because from the from when Mikel Arteta came in, it seemed like he didn't fancy him. It seemed like he didn't see him as, a, as the, the man for the longer term. Then he kind of really picked up and showed some real glimpses of, of what he can do. Then he fell out of favour again. If you remember that incident where he got himself sent off at Leeds United, Mikel Arteta publicly condemning him then. And you felt as though that relationship was very, very fractured. People talked about Pepe maybe not defending enough for Granite, uh, almost a Granite Shack, for Mikel Arteta's liking. Um, and then he improved in that department. And I thought towards the back end of last season, he looked very good. I think although he's caused opponents problems at the start of this season, he hasn't been at his best. And I think that, you know, Mikel is going to, is going to probably look at it and go, you know, Smith Rowe and Saka are my future and therefore it's it's worthwhile giving them the game time. I don't know if that, you know, going back to my point earlier on, is the right approach because Pepe proved last season that he will give you more outputs in terms of goals and assists than Smith Rowe. He will give you more outputs than Bukayo Saka and by quite some distance as well. So it all goes back to that point of, Pepe's that little bit more experienced. He's a little bit further along the progression line. I think you can rely on him to give you X amount of goals over the course of the season, more than you can the other two. And so it's all about balance. It's about finding the right balance between the more experienced player who might have ups and downs, but is going to give you more over the course of the season in terms of direct goal contributions and supplementing that with the qualities that Smith Rowe and Saka bring to the table and and making sure that you get the most out of everybody and that you encourage a healthy competition within the group. So I'm not saying that Pepe is not part of the plans, but Pepe is one of those players where I look at him and I did feel like if a bid, a, a reasonable bid had come in over the summer, um, it would it would have been considered by the football club. 
because I do feel like there's been a kind of acknowledgement behind the scenes that signing him for 72 million pounds was way over the top and it was very bad business. I'm not saying he's a shit player or that he can't produce. I actually think he's a decent player, but he's a 35, 40 million pound player as opposed to a 72 million pound player. And that deal is one of the reasons, isn't it? That Raul Sanley's dealings were scrutinized so closely uh, by KSC and he was eventually pushed out the door. So for me, you know, I, I can't be sure that he's part of the future plans. And I do feel like many players at the club, he was one that had the sufficient offer coming in the summer. The club would have certainly uh, considered it, but he is here. He does produce more in terms of outputs than those other two, than Smith-Rowe and Saka. And so while he's here, you can't overlook him. And he has to be a part of the plan. And he should start more often than not for me. Um, because... Unless Saka and ESR are going to lift their level in terms of what they're giving us and in terms of their consistency, then, you know, he, he's in with a shout and he should be part of the plans. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Ella says, um, Harry, apparently the club will be targeting Sevilla's N Naziri. He's a similar age group of the players we've been signing and a different type of striker, a bit like Giroud. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, admittedly, I'm not a Spanish football expert. Um, I'm much more into my Serie A uh, than I am La Liga. But from what I've seen of El Naziri, he look, uh, El Naziri, sorry, he looks like a really talented young man. He looks like the profile of striker that at times when you look at this Arsenal team, you feel we're kind of crying out for that bit of presence, that almost giving us a bit of a target, but also being able to kind of turn and play in behind people as well. I think I've said it before. I've always felt, especially over the last 18 months, that we've kind of needed a hybrid between Laka and Oba. And that's what makes it so difficult for Mikel Arteta to choose the right one from week to week. Oba, great at running in behind, great at running the channels, great at stretching teams, great in one-on-one -on -one situations. But then you've got Alexander Lacazette, who drops that little bit deeper, gives you a bit more of a target in terms of what he can do around hold-up play. And, and it just feels like if we had a hybrid of those two players, we'd be in a much better position. So Naziri feels like someone who could be that. But if he continues in the vein that he has in terms of like getting eyes on him, I think we'd, we'd struggle because I think there'll be a lot of competition uh, looking at a player like that. Um, so he's a player I like and a player that I would certainly consider. Um, but in terms of the rumours I've heard, it doesn't feel like one that is... Um, it doesn't feel like one that is... There is a lot of kind of... How do I, how do I word this? It doesn't feel like a very warm rumour to me. It feels like one that you know, there could be a little bit of an interest. There could have been some kind of discussion somewhere along the line, but it's not one for me that um, is is at a stage where I'm going to sit up and take notice. Similarly to the Raheem Sterling one, we talk about it probably more so because of what we're lacking in that area than the strength of the interest being at a level where you go, yeah, you know, this could happen. According to Transfer Mark, these values at £36 million, which you feel would mean make him available at a reasonable price for a centre forward in 2021. Scored three goals and provided one assist in six La Liga performance or appearances so far this season. So yeah, someone to consider for sure. Uh, let's take uh, a couple more uh, of your questions before we wrap up. Um, 
and see what we've got. I'm going to try and pick from people who haven't asked questions uh, already. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, this one, uh, do you think that this documentary will help bring the fan base closer together or help further the divisions that are there? Ari Arteta, Edu, Kronke out. Look, we know that it's a bit of a PR stunt. We know that it's a, a, a way of the club making a quick buck and, and building their brand. I think the balance between actually showing what's going wrong and acknowledging what's going wrong and then selling us the project needs to be right. So there needs to be a bit of selling us the project to get people on board. Arsenal don't want to be perceived as a badly run football club, even if that is what we are. But they also need to acknowledge the shortcomings. And only if they do that, only if they're honest in their kind of assessment of where we're at now, where things have gone wrong, will fans warm to it and will fans buy it and buy into it. If they're going to paper over all the cracks and try and pull the wool over everybody's eyes while trying to sell us this project, then people are just going to get pissed off of it, call it a PR stunt and move on. So I think there is a really fine line between, as I say, trying to get people to buy into the project, but also actually highlighting and showcasing what it is that's gone wrong and acknowledging what it is that's gone wrong and acknowledging that it's not good enough so that we can then um, at least feel like there's some honesty in the club's portrayal of where they're actually at. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Let's take this one from uh, Suresh. Uh, Harry, are the players one with Arteta? I sometimes feel they're against him. I don't feel that they're against him. Um, I, I don't, you know, and, and I see that as a criticism thrown at him quite frequently. I don't think that's the case at all. I think the North London derby was, was you know, evidence of, of the fact that everybody's at least trying to pull in the same direction. But sometimes we're just not good enough because this team is not always good enough. I think the game at Brighton, you know, it didn't click. Um, I talked in, in my reaction about Oba not being at it, about Odegaard not being at it, Thomas Partey too. And when those players are not at it, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to say that it's because they're not buying into what the manager's doing. But I genuinely don't feel that is the case. I do feel as though, it's more of, um, you know, it's more of us just not as a team being at the level that we need to be at than it being down to a lack of commitment and a lack of effort. I think if you look at the way we defended at Brighton, that wasn't a team that had given up hope and that wasn't a team that didn't care. That was a team that actually showed some resilience at a time when they weren't performing anywhere near the level that we know they can. And a team that took away a point when really and truly they probably didn't deserve to get anything. So I don't think that the players are against Mikel Arteta. I think over the course of his tenure, there have been fallings out. They've been well documented. There have been uh, maybe sort of some difficult moments in his personal relationships with some of his players. But I think overall, I think the squad is with Mikel Arteta. I do feel like we're moving um, slowly in the right direction, or at least based on the last four fixtures, I talked about how respectable I thought 10 points from an available 12 was, given where we were coming from. You know, it's not good enough in the bigger picture when you look at where we are, um, you know, in terms of our league position and when you take the first three games into consideration as well. But the reason I keep saying 10 out of 12 and not 10 out of 21 or whatever it is, is because 
I've drawn a line under that. I think there were mitigating factors that caused us issues that contributed. We're not solely responsible for us being abysmal, but they contributed to us being that poor. And I think that it would be unfair to disregard those. We looked at the fixtures as well, you know, Chelsea, City, Brentford away wasn't an easy game as we've seen now. So we're kind of in a place where I'd drawn a line under that and I was looking forward from the Norwich game. And that's why I keep saying 10 out of 12. And that's why I'm looking at this isolated period whereby Mikel Arteta has had at least the majority of his team available and uh, and ready to go. Right. Uh, thank you all so much. I am going to leave it there. Uh, you can catch me on Lee Judges TV at 8.15 uh, with Dan Potts, Lee Judges himself, Graham Brooks as well. We're going to be uh, reflecting on the game against Brighton. So head over there, uh, give it a subscribe as well. Come and join us, 8.15 p.m. UK time. If you're listening on the audio or you're watching this back later on, you'll be able to find that stream on YouTube too. But um, yeah, it's been great. As always, been a pleasure uh, talking all things Arsenal with you guys. And just to summarise, um, Raheem Sterling, would you have him at Arsenal? I bloody would. Uh, Granite Xhaka has given Amazon as all or nothing documentary permission to film his rehabilitation uh, from his injury. I will catch you all soon. Make sure you hit the like button. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the channel. If you are new, we're around about 200 subscribers away on YouTube from hitting that 17,000 mark. And I'd love to get there as soon as possible. So like, 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 subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. You know the draw by now. I'll be back very soon. Until next time, take care. Goodbye. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.